I remember uh, one of my neighbors saying to me one time, Molly, you should just become a Mormon. You would be so good. <laughs> That's what she said to me. Hello, my name's Blair Murphy, and this is The Bishop's Office, a podcast where I talk to members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints about their conversion, missionary service, and life experiences. This week, I'm speaking to Molly Baker about her life and conversion experiences. I hope you enjoy it. Well, mm-hmm. Molly, great to catch up with you today and um, hear a, a bit about your life. How are you? I'm good. It's good to be here. Great. Well, tell us a bit about your childhood. Where were you born? What was growing up like for you? I was born in Omaha, Nebraska. My parents were quite young when they they got married. Um, my dad, he was looking like he was going to be drafted into the military um, because of um, Vietnam War. And he decided that instead of waiting for that draft to tell him what armed service he'd be with, he decided to make that decision on his own and decided to join the Air Force. So when I was a baby, uh, we spent the first four years of my life in Phoenix, Arizona. And then the next four years of my life in Germany, as far as my upbringing in my religion, I didn't grow up with uh, parents that had any strong beliefs in any particular religion. And so I was not taught any Bible stories. I wasn't really taught about Jesus. But my dad's parents, who um, lived in Council Bluffs, Iowa, were very religious people. They belonged to the Pentecostal church. And so my first venture into Bible stories and God and Jesus Christ was through them. My, my dad decided to retire from active service with the Air Force when I was eight and we returned to the United States. Dad was looking to um, regain employment with the Union Pacific Railroad. So that's what brought us to Utah. My grandparents wanted to still have a relationship with us, and so it was good over the summers we would go visit them for about four to six weeks. Mm. And that's when I really started to um, take on the stories of of the gospel, and I was really surprised. I I soaked it up like a sponge. It was quite interesting. Um, In fact, my mom, (laughs) she, she told me later, she goes, you come back from those visits and I felt like I had to deprogram you because, you know, I was going <laughs> to, you know, Jesus Christ was my savior. <laughs> and so, yeah, she she just, she found it difficult, I guess, when I would come back. Well, so, it's interesting because yeah. you guys are living in Ogden, just north of Salt Lake, which is Mormon central, we might call it, right? How did yeah. your family find living in a community yeah. Yeah. with so many Latter-day Saints? You know, it's interesting. I... I had friends that were Latter-day Saints, and um, some of them shared their their beliefs with me, but not not many. I mean, I knew I knew that they would attend church on Sunday, but I, I think it wasn't until I was probably about eleven years old that I had a a friend that decided to invite me to church one Sunday. You know, it was just a one-time thing, and I had a good time, but I never had anybody that really fostered that side of my life Mm. until really adulthood. I remember I was still living at home when I was about 20 years old, and I remember I came home one day, and missionaries were in our home, 
I look back at that and I think how amazing that is because my mom is very anti Latter-day Saint, mm-hmm. uh, but she let them in. And I can remember that I listened to the first lesson and I cannot remember what they were teaching me exactly, but I actually ended up in tears during, during that discussion. And um, I sit there and I look back at that and I think, because it was only the one time and my mom did not let them back in the house. Sometimes that's surprising for people, right? To have an emotional reaction to what people are really just talking about God and church and all that sort of stuff. What sort of an experience was that for you? Was it positive? Did you feel like it was a good experience? Very positive, but I I guess I didn't know how to continue that, especially in my mom's home. One of my very best friends in high school was also a Latter-day Saint. She attended church on Sundays. And I find it interesting that as close as I was to these people, I didn't necessarily get invites, Mm. you know, to church on Sunday. And it would have been very easy for me to attend. Um, and it wasn't until, well, I was 21 years old when I, when I married my late husband, um, Jeff. We met when I was 16, actually. Mm. Most parents would uh, not appreciate that at all. <laughs> but yeah, I married him when I was 21. Uh, he had been uh, raised in the gospel and I was a Latter-day Saint. But into his teenage years, his parents split and there was a lot of... Um, Hurt that went on with that. So he was not practicing. Mm. I always knew that he believed it though. If anybody ever tried to challenge him on it, you know, he, he would stand up for it, but he was not a church goer. And he also had a few vices that he, um, over the years, he drank beer um, there for a while. He used nicotine. He, he actually used chewing tobacco, which is a nasty, nasty habit. <laughs> um, we, we moved to this house in this little city called Hooper, Utah, that's where we began our family. And, you know, the neighbors there were wonderful. We, um, when we moved in, our neighbor next door, he was one of those that um, had stepped away from the gospel and got back into it. And not long after that, they, he actually became bishop of the ward. And so here we had the bishop living next door to us. And we were really, um, friendly with them and all the people in the neighborhood were really friendly and I knew who were the Latter-day Saints. They were always very accepting of me, always included me like the annual trunk or treat that they would do. My kids would always go to and I remember uh, one of my neighbors saying to me one time, Molly, you should just become a Mormon. You would be so good. <laughs> That's what she said to me. And I, I was like, oh, yeah, kind of laughed it off. And I can remember when my uh, boys were about, probably about two and four, I thought that it was my responsibility to teach him about God and about Jesus Christ. And I started my search for a church and hadn't really discussed it with my husband. And um, he wasn't, still wasn't attending. And I can remember, I would drive to work in the mornings and I would listen. There was a Christian radio station and they, it would tell a lot of Bible stories. Some of it was preaching. Some of it was just, I don't know, like little plays that you would hear on talk radio. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, I remember feeling the spirit really deeply there and really wanting to get my children to church. And I, then when I finally discussed it with my husband, he he was like, well, you don't need to take them to another church. We got a perfectly good church down the road. And I just remember thinking, 
yeah, but why don't you take us there? And he didn't. And so that just kind of got swept under the rug. And um, I wasn't extremely happy with some of the choices he was making either. So I knew he didn't feel like he could step foot in an LDS church. Uh, We just kind of let it go for a while and um, went on and had our third child in 2002. And in 2004, two things happened that year. My husband had a, had a colleague, well, actually a mentor from work that had been working down in San Antonio, Texas, and he was working on the temple down there, the construction company that oh. my husband worked for and friend worked for had, were actually building that temple down there. And he was the superintendent on the job and he had come up back to Utah for a, several days And so he was at a home improvement store um, and he was in the parking lot and he was loading bags of cement into his truck and he had a massive heart attack and died right there in the, in the parking lot. Oh, wow. And um, I know, and uh, that hit my husband pretty hard. He did tell me that it was about, oh, I would say a month, month and a half before he'd actually flown out to uh, San Antonio and uh, was visiting him. He says, I remember getting on the airplane and thinking, Randy's going to kill me when I go and join the church because, you know, they were riding Harleys and <laughs> drinking beer at the bar, you know, and, and, and I don't know why that thought occurred to him. But so Ran- Randy passed away about six weeks later. Shortly after that, um, his mother also passed away. Oh. Now, his mother was in her probably mid fifties. I can't remember exactly, maybe 54, 56. Mm. Um, so when these two deaths cropped up, I think he was, he was really reeling. They were working for the same construction company and, um, my husband was in between jobs for Jacobson. So they asked him if he'd be willing to go finish up that San Antonio temple job. I think it was just about six months. They thought that he'd be gone for And um, we had small children, you know, my youngest was maybe two and a half. And um, I was thinking, how am I going to do this? Because I was working full time as well. I was working every other weekend as well. And I thought, how am I going to have anybody help me? They worked it out to where they would send him home every other weekend. And so he'd be home to be with the kids when I worked. And um, one of my neighbors actually quit her job and decided to watch my kids for me and get them to and from school for me. So uh, my husband went down to San Antonio and worked that job and it was really, really hard for him. He loved the temple. He was so excited to work on the temple, but he was extremely lonely and missing his family. And he was really trying to come to terms with what he really believed. So he returns home in the summer. It was probably about July. So we go the next few months and he starts talking to one of his friends that also has decided to go back to church and give up the beer drinking, which is <laughs> terrible enough. And so one day in December, um, I remember vividly being out on our lawn and we were putting up Christmas lights. and couple missionaries come up to the yard and start talking to us and we have a pleasant conversation and usually my husband would if they came and 
rang the doorbell, he'd run him off and I'd scold him for being too mean to him. <laughs> and this time, this time he was really welcoming and actually agreed to let him come, come visit us and agreed. Um, so anyway, after they left, I remember my husband saying, so I wonder who did that. And uh, it turns out that it was one of his friends actually contacted our neighbor who was the bishop at the time and said, if you want to get Skip, now's the time to do it. <laughs> Send the missionaries over. <laughs> and the ward missionaries, there was a couple that are dear to my heart. They're the Baileys, um, Dirk and Robin Bailey. These two came with the missionaries for our first discussion. The whole family was listening to the discussions and my oldest at that time was 10. My, my middle child was eight. And Katie, that would have made Katie about three. We listened to the discussions for a long time, got really used to it. You know, once they start visiting you, you really look forward to the visits and the learning that was going on. But at that point in my life, I had become pretty bitter, I think, about things. I, I, when the missionaries sat down, I said, you know what? At this point, you don't need to convince me whether or not your particular religion is the right religion, you need to convince me that there's a higher being because right now I don't know that I even believe there's a heavenly father. Mm. And they ha so they had their work cut out for them. Everybody else in the family was ready to go. And I just kept trying. I really, cause I, I have always been one that could feel the spirit, you know, deeply. It was not never hard for me, but I was in a point in my life that I just wasn't feeling anything anymore. And so my husband's side of the family, all of them were practicing. They were churchgoers. And he had an aunt in Arizona that actually sent us all scriptures with our names engraved on it. And hmm. I remember thinking how cool that was, you know, to have a quad and it was leather and thinking how nice that was. And, and everybody was so excited to see, see that we were taking the discussions. And I really wanted it. And I was really, really trying. And about... So we started taking the discussions in December and in April, finally, the missionary said, Hey, look, your husband's on board. You guys have been going to church every Sunday. We started paying tithing. My husband, the word of wisdom, not a problem for him. He was on fire. He mm -hmm. um, felt spirit. There was no problem with that. He never touched another beer again. Anyway, they sat me down and they said, we're really afraid that, you know, we could keep coming here. We're not, you know, we would like to have your boys baptized and we don't, we would really like to see all three of you get baptized at the same time, but we don't think you're ready. We really need to know where your head's at. And during that time, because I have a science background, I, the scientist in me had to know if it could be true. Not that I had to be true. I just had to know if it could be true. And one of the books that the Baileys gave me was called In the Footsteps of Lehi. And I read that book and looked at the scriptures. It, it described how these landmarks actually were, they think they traveled. And it just, it just really hit home to me that, yeah, okay, this, this could be true. It makes sense. And things were coming together for me. I, it was, a bit of a puzzle for me that everything was starting to make sense. The bigger picture made was starting to make sense, but I was a little bit nervous about how some of my non Latter-day Saint family and friends would feel like my entire side of the family. Nobody had been baptized in the church. And, um, 
I remember the missionaries brought a movie over. I watched this video, and after knowing that the missionaries were going to baptize my boys without me, I watched this video, and after I watched it, I... I felt like I was ready to be baptized. And this video was talking about temples and it was interviewing different religious leaders. In there, what got me was one of the leaders talked about how he envied the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints having temples and that we did work for the dead and how supportive other religious leaders were. And it, it just really warmed my heart. The Spirit spoke to me and I thought, you know, this makes sense. So tell me about your baptism. Oh, okay. Daily baptism. I can remember, there was no doubt in my mind I should, I should be baptized. And I was happy that my boys were there. It was a very spirit-filled day. After we were baptized, and you know, you're all wet and you got to get dressed, they actually showed a video. And I remember they filled, they filled the chapel with so many people. And I was so grateful for everyone that supported me and my family and everybody was so supportive it was it was really good and you know from that day on we have never been inactive we've gone every sunday this is really terrible but i've never had a direct conversation with my mother about me being a member of the church now i mean she knows now the extent of our membership and she's supportive she came to my my youngest daughter's baptism when she turned eight so we're all good you know nobody's upset well i just love that story molly i love that you'd you know come in contact with the church a number of times that you'd had a few sort of spiritual experiences and ultimately when the time was right you felt you could make the decision to be baptized one of the things that really stood out to me was the change in your husband over those months as the missionaries were meeting with you um you know, he stopped drinking. I don't know if he still had the hog in the driveway or what, but, um, you know, there was just a real change that you could see. And I just love that, that the gospel has the ability to change our very nature, who we are. And, you know, despite the vices or imperfections that we have. And just one other thing, you know, as you were describing his feeling about, well, really being unworthy to come back to church. I hope people listening know that no matter what our vice, whatever our imperfections, you know, we can always come back to church. You mentioned, you know, at the very beginning, Jeff or Skip as he's known uh, about his passing. Do you mind sharing a little bit about what happened there and what experiences did you have with God surrounding his passing? Maybe a little background. Um, those years between us being baptized and being sealed as a family, um, we were baptized in 2006 and we were sealed as a family in 2007, and he actually passed away in 2014. And um, in that amount of time, he had become um, Elders Quorum president. Well, first of all, he, they, right away they made him a scoutmaster. He loved that job, he was a great scoutmaster, and then became an Elders Quorum president. And uh, my husband was actually called as the second counselor in the bishopric. So that tells you how quickly mm. he was, he, he never gave up on the gospel. He attended temples all over Utah. His goal was to um, attend every temple in Utah in a year's time. And I think he actually did that. In fact, one time he went down to the St. George temple and realized that his temple recommended expired and he sat on the lawn and cried because <laughs> <laughs> he drove all the way down there. <laughs> so, um, Anyway, the couple of months leading up to his death, I look back at it and I look at how 
Heavenly Father was preparing me and my family. <laughs> anyway, my husband wanted to get into shape, and so he had actually joined a CrossFit gym, and he had joined one that was closer to his work. And on this particular day, he um, had an appointment with a physical therapist who actually was our former bishop. And I had come home from work, had made dinner. I can remember I was doing laundry as well. So I was folding clothes as things were cooking. And he walked in, was in a great mood, um, had asked me if I wanted to actually work out with him. And I'm like, well, actually, I'm in the middle of making dinner. And and so anyway, he did his thing and he was jogging up and down the road. The neighbors had seen him do that. He'd been working out in the garage and Katie, my youngest, had been coming in and out, kind of poking fun at him like he was jump roping and she was criticizing his jumping of the rope and, and was teasing him a bit. And um, so it wasn't unusual for us to sit down to dinner and Jeff wouldn't necessarily be there. He'd just eat when he had had a minute and so it was youth it was a youth activity that night and Brenda needed to get on his way so he hurried and gobbled down his food and um, went out into the garage to get on his bike and I hadn't finished my meal yet I had only taken one bite and he walked in and said something was wrong with dad and um, it looked like he'd been jump roping I don't know uh, what we later found out is uh, it looked like he died of a uh, of sudden cardiac death. At one point I was sitting there, it hadn't been long. I had dialed for emergency services. Actually, my daughter grabbed my phone and dialed it, put it to my ear. And next thing I know, the 911 operator was wanting me to do CPR. I realized that's what she wanted me to do. And neither one of my kids were around and I couldn't figure out why. And I just remember, just remember screaming and, Next thing I know, uh, Brendan and Katie had gone to the neighbors. I had a firefighter that lived next door and a police officer down the road. And they rushed in and started doing CPR on him and didn't hear the, didn't hear the ambulance. But I, I don't remember much. I can remember somebody asking for they wanted to give him a blessing and I didn't have any oil. I didn't know where Jeff's oil was, had no idea. And um, they did what they could. And they worked on him for about an hour in the ER. And I was surprised at how many people came to the emergency room. I was really surprised. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm always a person that thinks, oh, they need their privacy, you know. Uh, it's a private moment. But this word family of mine, they just, they felt like family, you know, and they came to support us and they were there to support my daughter and, and my son and my oldest son happened to be on a mission at the time. And I can remember thinking, oh, how am I going to tell him this, you know, and the former bishop of ours that had done the physical therapy on my husband that night was in, in the emergency room with me and he actually was the one that phoned the mission president. Um, the mission president actually broke the news to Jason, which I am so grateful for because I didn't know how I could do it. I didn't know how I could be the one to break that kind of news. And we probably racked up a big cell phone bill for him, but uh, we talked on his phone for a couple hours, I think, to Jason and El Salvador. And we were making the decision on whether or not we should bring Jason home 
for the funeral or not, because I knew his dad would want him to serve the mission. He'd been out for six months. So that night I told Jason, I said, we don't need to make any decisions tonight. Why don't you sleep on it? I'll pray about it. You pray about it. And I'll talk to you tomorrow or the next day about it. We'll work on that. And um, when Jason got back, it was a good week before we had the funeral. Jason came home on a Wednesday. He had developed an eye infection over those few days after his dad passed Mm -hmm. away. And um, his mission president said, this is the second time you've had it on this mission. I want you to, I want you to have that looked at while you're home. And so um, uh, I made an appointment for an eye doctor we, for Thursday morning. Anyway, long story short, this infection was a lot more serious than we thought. And the doctor said he's not going back to El Salvador on his mission. If he's going to continue his mission, he's going to have to do it stateside at a place we know he get good medical care. This particular infection could have taken his eyesight. Oh, wow. and, um, and it was a real blessing that he actually came home to have it looked at. Uh, he was home for three weeks and then got reassigned to uh, the Santa Rosa, California mission, mm-hmm. um, Spanish speaking. And so he went ahead and served another 18 months. And, and I, I know that he knew that that's what his dad would want and he wanted that as well. So. The time after his dad passed away was a very um, a lonely time, kind of a dark time, I think, for all of us. You know, we were a family of five down to a family of three living in the house and um, trying to make sure that Jason had what he needed on his mission. That must have been so incredibly tough. You, you mentioned that you're in a dark place, but were there moments of light where you felt like, you know, your heavenly father was reaching out? to you what was your experience my experience during that time i you know i hear people they have different experiences when dark times happen and this is i don't know if i can explain this well enough for people to understand but when it comes to death i found that i had a hard time praying and the only way i can describe it is that i felt like jeff had passed away and he was gone. He was with Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. And I was here. And if I prayed to Heavenly Father, I felt like it just, it just brought that pain back. I don't know if that makes sense. I mean, I knew that I knew that God was there for me. And I was so blessed to be in a primary position. Because let me tell you, if anybody can make your day, it's the children. Going to church every Sunday, if I would have been in some of those deep discussions that you have in Relief Society, I don't know that I could have, I could have done that. I needed to be around the children and get to see their young, sweet, smiling faces. You know, I just, that's what pulled me through. And my ward family, I still felt the spirit strongly. Um, I went to the temple a few times, but it was really hard for me to go. Because I found that I would just cry. I just didn't cry. And so to try to not feel the pain, you just try to step away from that. And so basically the first chair was probably the hardest. I mean, going into the winter months and the dark days of winter, you know, that was hard. But I tried to make Christmas just as happy as it always had been. And I, you know, it was just putting one foot in front of the other. And people at church could see it in me after I started to come out of this cloud. It took a while. Once you lose somebody that's that close to you, you're just never the same. 
It's just um, something that you live with and you still find happiness, but in different ways. And so um, I, I know everybody around me was trying to help me. They would give me books, you know, self-help books. And, um, you know, I found that I was more interested in knowing what to expect in the spirit world. And I, I was doing more of that and wondering what Jeff was doing. And um, I always felt close to the Lord, but I felt I, it was hard for me to seek him out, if that makes sense. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing, um, you know, those times and being so vulnerable um, and sharing just how you were feeling. And I think it, it makes a whole lot of sense. And I think as you're trying to just cope and protect your heart from, you know, this this trauma and missing your your sweetheart, you know, all of that makes makes perfect sense. So um, thank you for, for sharing that. Tell me about what brought you to Australia then. We find you here in Adelaide with us. Um, how did that move come about? That came about because um, against my daughter's wishes, she did not want she did not want to see me date. I decided to go start dating. I found that I wasn't having much luck with people introducing me to others. So I actually went on LDS dating sites and went on a few dates, but I kept it all kind of on the down low so that. Um, I didn't upset my youngest, you know, being the age I was at, I was in my forties and not really excited about dating, but um, I forced myself out there and um, wasn't finding much luck. Uh, I was on two LDS singles sites and I was in the process of deleting my membership because I was like, I'm just done. I'm not going to do this. Um, and it was July by then of 2016. And um, I got this little message up on one of them that said, are you sure you don't want to just try it for one more month? We'll give it to you for half price or something. I can't remember. And I said, fine, 30 more days. That's what you get. And about a week later, Chris, my husband now, um, reached out to me from Australia. And I can remember thinking, Oh, Australia, that's pretty non-threatening, I guess. I, I found that I wasn't responding to anybody that wasn't within uh, Utah boundaries. I thought, I don't want to move to another state. I don't want to do a long-distance relationship. I don't want to do that. So what do I do? I answer Chris. He's on the other side of the world. <laughs> and we start talking. We start talking on WhatsApp. And I within a couple of days, I'm like, I really like this guy. He's such a good guy. You know, and we just talked and talked and talked and talked. And um, we talked for a few weeks every day, I would say. And at least a month later, I was like, you know what? If this is going to happen, we really need to meet each other. Because we were talking about, all right, could this really happen? I don't know. Would this really happen? We would discuss, all right, where would we live? And we were both open to living in each other's countries, but we weren't sure about the children. And so I decided to come out here for about eight days and um, see if um, there was actually a spark or not and, and came out here and we were wonderfully compatible and um, I left in tears thinking, oh my gosh, I have to leave him here. How am I going to, how are we going to continue this relationship, you know? And mm. I remember the last day I was here, I was like, can we see each other at Christmas? And uh, in a nutshell, what we did is every 12 weeks, we try and see each other for two weeks. I guess it was pretty quick because we met in September. 
he came out in December for a couple of weeks and stayed at my house in Utah. And um, then he came in January to California on a business trip and I met him out there for about a week. Then he was going to come back out to Utah and come to general conference with his kids. And we've thought that we might get married the following December and we were thinking we do it in Australia, but um, logistics and a lot of factors, we decided that just wasn't going to happen. And just off the cuff, I said to him, it's too bad when you come out, you know, for general conference, you know, March, April, that we can't um, just get married then. And he says, well, why don't we? So we planned a wedding in four weeks and um, it was beautiful. Yeah, I know. Crazy. We're a couple of crazy kids. I'm sure a lot of people thought we were crazy. Anyway, (laughs) we planned a a wedding. We actually did it at uh, at the Joseph Smith Memorial Building and uh, had a room that overlooked the Salt Lake Temple and had about 25 guests. It was the springtime, so everything was in bloom and it was a beautiful day. And then we proceeded to go on a family vacation because we had planned the family vacation before we were getting married. So we didn't do our honeymoon until the following September. And we went to New York when we did that. So, yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, we lived separately for um, 18 months. Well, Katie came out in July of 2017 to Australia. And it was her I was worried about. I didn't want to disrupt her life too much. And she visited here in 2017 in July and decided that she'd be willing to move. And so we went ahead and um, put in an application for a permanent residency um, as a a partner visa. We now have permanent residency here and I've got two of my three kids here. My oldest is married and living in our Utah house. So now we're just figuring out life here. Well, we sure do love you and, and Chris and your blended family. I guess maybe to to finish up, as you look back on your life with all of the ups and downs, how has the gospel blessed your life, do you think? How have you seen the Lord's hand in your life? Well, I mean, I look at bringing Chris into my life. I mean, he's been a perfect husband and, and stepfather to my kids. He's been a, a good compliment to me. We both can identify with each other losing spouses. We think very similarly when it comes to the gospel, and um, it's good to have be able to have uh, conversations with each other. And yeah, if if we wouldn't have taken the paths we both took, because he's a convert as well, we wouldn't have actually met each other had we not had our other spouses. In fact, I was listening to a podcast a couple weeks ago where somebody was in the similar situation as us, where they both were widowed and then they met each other and you know that saying that says um all because two people fell in love they say that they wanted to get a bumper sticker that said all because four people fell in love (laughs) and i thought that is cute that's a good idea (laughs) because we wouldn't have met each other had we not had our first spouses and just the people that have been in um my life leading up to this point i mean I don't know how I would have handled the death of my first husband without the gospel. I really don't. I mean, even though I said I kind of pushed it away, I felt love. I felt loved spiritually. I felt love in my ward family. I felt love from my family. I, I, and I, I don't know that I would have done as well. I really don't. I can't imagine what my life would have been had I not had the gospel in my life. I really don't. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share with us your experience. It's been great getting to know you better. All right. Thank you, Bishop. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed hearing about Molly's life. It is such a blessing and a privilege to be able to speak to people about their most personal moments. And I'm grateful to Molly and everybody that I've interviewed for being so generous and sharing their experiences. Please do share these with your friends and family and anybody else who you think might benefit from hearing about these experiences. That's all I have for you this week until I speak to you again here in the Bishop's Office.